Hello and welcome to B2B Revenue Leaders. I'm your host, Dustin Tizik, and this episode is brought to you by Testimonial Hero. If you're looking to get more customer stories out there, but you're struggling with resources to make that actually happen, Testimonial Hero can help. Learn more at testimonialhero.com. And on this episode, I'm joined by Mark Stiving, who is the founder at Impact Pricing. And you guessed it, we're talking about pricing. So a lot of the focus on this episode is around what value-based pricing is. We talk about perceived versus real value and inherent versus relative value. And we also touch a bit on how to raise prices and actually communicate those price changes to your customers. On to the episode. Hey, Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dustin. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Pricing, well, for our listeners, we're going to talk about pricing. I've spent, you know, past 10, 12 years in B2B SaaS, have made many pricing mistakes and packaging things wrong. So I have a bunch of questions here. And I think when people hear pricing, everyone says, do it based on a value metric, focus on value. But people don't really know what value means because it's a big word that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. So let's kick it off there, really. Like, how do you think through value? Can I just say that was the most perfect opening ever? That was I really good. That. <laughs> <laughs> so, so most people will say the word something like, hey, we do value-based pricing or, you know, charge what a customer is willing to pay, which is how I define value-based pricing. Yeah. But we don't really know what that means. And there are so many different ways to think about value. And that's why this is so hard. Now, let me give you a few of those ways to think about value. And, and you'll start to realize this. So if we think about someone buying a new product, mm -hmm. they almost always make two different purchase decisions. The first one is, will I buy something in the product category? The second one is, which one will I go buy? Mm -hmm. When they're making the will I decision, it's what's the value of solving the problem? I call that inherent value. Yeah. When they're making the which one decision, what's the value of your alternative relative to others? I call that relative value. Yeah. Right? And so this is a value decision that we have to try to figure out is what decision is our buyer making? We could think about value in subscriptions for a second, right? Yeah. So you have a, a new buyer, someone who's not bought your product before. So we know we have to win customers, keep customers, grow customers. So someone wants to win, we want to win a new customer. Well, to them, value is perceived value. What do they believe about your product? Once we get a real customer and we're thinking, how do we upgrade them? How do we raise their prices? How do we upsell them? Now value is how much value are they actually getting? Think of it as real value mm -hmm. that we've delivered and, and they've received from our product. But, but I'll simplify all this for you for just a second. In the world of B2B, value is how much more profit are you going to make your customer? Yeah, it all, all boils down to that in the end, right? I think the one that stood out for me there is the perceived versus real value because I've had, you know, been in a room with some executives discussing pricing. Everyone has a different idea of what the actual value we provide is. And usually the answer is talk to your customers and you know, actually figure that out. And maybe it is that simple, but I'm curious on your end, how, how do you understand those different types of value? Like, how do you get that information to then make decisions? Yes. Yeah, so a lot of the information you know just because of where we are in the sales cycle or what type of product we have or what type of customer we're talking to. So we can get to some of these, you know, these yes, no, or dichotomous decisions we get through. Yeah. But then I want to go talk to a customer. And uh, here's a question for you. Are they looking at a competitor or not? And that depends. Am I going to talk to them about what's the value of solving the problem? Or am I going to talk to them about what's our value relative to the competitor? 
Now, mm-hmm. if they're not looking at a competitor, I don't want to talk to them about the competitor. So how do we do that? The, the recommendation I usually make to salespeople is ask this question. If you don't buy this, what will you do? Yeah. And the implication is there's no other alternative. But I'm certainly not mentioning competitors or saying, hey, you should go look at competitors with that mm-hmm. type of question. And so in truth, you want to, if you can think through all of the different decisions our buyers are making, then we can start to say, okay, where are they? What, what's the information they truly need? Yeah, I like phrasing the question that way instead of who else are you looking at? Also, because oftentimes it's not an actual competitor. You know, for most tech companies, maybe it's Excel is the backup option, right? I'm not going to use your software. I'm just going to use Excel. And then all the bells and whistles you have don't really matter and how you position it changes completely. On the pricing side, then, if you, someone's thinking through like, like price elasticity is what a lot of people are trying to get at and how much they can increase prices, what's the willingness to pay. And I found that's kind of the hardest part is, yeah, you could maybe have a guess on the value, but then where do you start to figure out like what the actual price is? Yeah, let's, let's talk about another one of these choices. Yeah. Are we in a Teoli market, which I call a take it or leave it market, or are we in a negotiated pricing situation? Because we think about these very differently. If I'm in a negotiated pricing situation, I really don't care about price elasticity. It doesn't yeah. matter to me. I want to set a relatively high list price and then have my salesperson figure out what's the value we're delivering to this customer and then communicate that value so they can maintain the highest price possible. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm in a take it or leave it situation, so I'm selling on the web, I've got a price point there, people click buy now. I, I don't get to negotiate with individual customers. Yeah. Now price elasticity starts to make sense, right? If I raise my price 1%, how much does that affect my demand? And, and we can start thinking about those things. But, but we have to first understand what, where are we? What kind of product mm-hmm. do we make? Yeah, I think there's a lot of kind of in between too for people as well. Like in our case, we need to, maybe we don't need to, but we, we think we need to show pricing on the web- website to at least give a range. And part of that is we're not the cheapest solution. We're kind of on the premium end and we selfishly want to rule out some people who want a $10 a month solution when we're, you know, 4,000 a project. Right. Um, that being said, every actual proposal and sales discussion is custom. Like we custom build based on the component parts that they want us to create. So that's been a struggle for us is how do we simplify communicating pricing on the website when realizing everything in reality is custom. And I think a lot of people struggle with what to do there. Yeah. And, and so this, the question of, do I put my prices on the website or not is a really hard question. Yeah. Here's the simple, the simplest way I can answer that is if, first off, if you expect people to buy without talking to sales, you better have a price on there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you're going to be doing PLG and you want to get people in, get a price there, whatever that looks like. If you've said, Hey, I don't want to, because my price is too high and I'm going to scare people away. Yeah. I would argue that you haven't communicated value on your website well enough. And so we can do that and then put yourself in the shoes of the buyer to say, when's the last time you said, Hey, I really like that thing. I, I, I want to go look at it and see if I could buy one. You go to the website, there's no price. Yeah. And what goes through your head is it's probably too expensive for me. Yep. And yeah, you that don't and, shop anymore. Yeah. That, and I don't want to talk to a sales guy to figure out what the price is. There you Those go. are two things for sure. <laughs> there you yeah. go. 
And, and so the question becomes, do we want to be able to sell quickly and easily? Yeah. Or do we think we absolutely have to talk to somebody in order to communicate value before we deliver the price? Yeah. I think what you said earlier is a great answer. And that is, let's put a range on there that says, hey, we can't price this without knowing more about your situation and desires, but our prices typically range from 4,000 to 100,000. Yeah. Right. So now I got a ballpark. Yeah, exactly. Because then that does disqualify. I think that does two things, right? It disqualifies the ones who are looking for a very cheap solution, basically. And having that high ballpark as well makes people realize, you know, this is a large enough company and there's a, if I have a propensity to spend and I want a big project, these might be the people. Yeah. So, yeah. Can, can I tie that into another concept real quickly? Yeah, yeah, go for it. And if you're replying to an RFP, I love replying with good, better, best in the RFP. And yep. the reason is exactly what you just said, right? I'm going to give you good, which may be less than what you asked for, but it's going to win at the best price point. Yeah. I'm going to give you better, which is exactly what you asked for. And then I'm going to, or maybe what I think you truly need. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to give you best, which is saying, hey, look at all the things we could possibly do for you one day in the future. And yeah. it's at a really high price point. So we just, we're using that as almost as an advertising or marketing program. And every once in a while, someone buys it and we win a huge deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, that's funny. That's exactly what, what we do is we expect them to pick the middle option. Mm -hmm. um, even not in an RFP, a lot of times we do a sales call. We have a relatively short sales cycle. We do a sales call. We know they're going to close in two weeks, three weeks. So we send a price quote and that's exactly how, how we tackle it. And I think that often works well on a website as well in those broader buckets, right? Like here's the starter package, middle and enterprise. The one thing I've always wondered is like enterprise is always the mystery box on a website, right? There's no price. There's fill out this form and get info. I'm curious how you feel about that in most cases. And if maybe having a range there or some type of like something to benchmark it to might make more sense. Yeah, I, I think enterprise is okay. Typically, we see three different price points there, good, better, best. Oftentimes, we'll see a fourth. And the fourth should either be free, so it's a freemium product, yeah, or it should be the enterprise call us option. right? Yeah. Uh, so one of those two. But you can get away with enterprise being your best choice of the good, better, best. Yeah. Now, here's the thing about SaaS businesses, which I find fascinating. First off, let me talk about non-SaaS businesses. Mm -hmm. In a traditional business, you're going to go buy a new phone, you get to choose, you're going to buy a product and you get to choose the one with the lowest, the middle, or the most amount of memory. And I yep. can pretty much guarantee you that you chose the one with the middle amount of memory. And how do I know that? Because you didn't want to make a mistake, right? You didn't know exactly what you needed, but if you bought the, the low end one, it might not be good enough. And if you bought the high end one, you'd be wasting money. Mm -hmm. So you buy the one in the middle. Now in the world of SaaS or subscriptions, we often buy the good, the lowest end one, because it gives us a chance to get into it, try it, see how well it works, and then over time, move up to better, move up to best. And so as we start developing our product portfolios in subscription businesses, we want to be thinking exactly that. How do I get somebody into my good product? What are the things someone needs for a minimum viable product? And then how do I get to move them up into the better product? And how do I get to move the the ones who really love us into the best product. Yeah. And you see some SaaS companies that 
are exceptional with that through their software and the way they have things. Cause they kind of tease you with, if you had, you know, you get three reports as a teaser to go up to this, like HubSpot does that really well. I've yep. been HubSpot customer for a long time. And they, I think their, their PLG kind of upgrade motion is incredibly strong because they do that. What I'm curious about is subscription that maybe isn't as heavy software and heavy PLG. The trouble often is how to communicate the value after they sign up because it's not in product. So you almost like have to get them on a sales call, have that discussion and talk about what they're missing. Yeah. And I think that's perfectly okay. One of the things we talked a little bit about perceived value versus real value. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we have to make sure we're doing is making sure our customers, people who are paying us money today, realize the value that they're getting. Yeah. What we so often do is we say, hey, you bought from us, we're delivering, we're fulfilling our contract. And then later we say, don't you want more of that? Or don't you want something better? But we rarely go back and say, hey, remember this testimonial we got for you? How well did that do? How much business mm -hmm. did that turn for you? And look, we generated $3 million in business with this set of testimonials. What if we did this instead next year? Right? Yeah. And it changes the conversation. Yeah, it puts you more on their side working strategically, right? Rather than, I want more of your money. It is how it often comes off when you get the pitch of time to upgrade, time to upgrade. And I think on a similar topic too, price increases sometimes fall in that bucket as well, where you know the annual 5% or the annual 7% isn't tied to value clear enough to justify it. And then people feel like it's just inflation to death, essentially with their software. So curious, I know that's a big topic, but curious of your thoughts on that, like how to factor in and actually communicate those price increases. Huge topic. And I have a yeah. specific formula that I recommend people use for price increases. Uh, so here's, here's the formula. Yeah. Number, number one, our costs went up, mm -hmm. right? So we say our costs went up. Number two, in the last year, we delivered more value than what you originally signed up for. Yep. Yeah. Uh, number three. Uh, you are still paying less than new customers, somebody else, list price, mm -hmm. right? There's something there, right? Number four, if true, we haven't raised prices in three years. Yeah. Number five is do something nice. Oh, we're raising prices, but because you've been such a loyal customer, we want to hold your price constant for the next six months, and then we'll give you the price increase. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I think that's a good one to follow. And then I'm curious, then you mentioned, you know, you would say you're paying less than list, essentially less than new customers. I've worked at software companies then where some people are just grandfathered in and it's going to take 20 years to, to bring them up. So I don't know if there's a way around that, but I, we found that confusing or complicated on our end personally of who's grandfathered in at what price, how much can we increase them? How much can we bump it up? So for those price increases, do you recommend kind of standard across the board 5% or really case by case, here's what we think this customer would be willing. Um, it's probably somewhere in between the two, but it's closer yeah. to the case by case. The thing you have to adopt or accept, and this is mm -hmm. by, by the way, the second most powerful pricing strategy that any company can adopt. And that is price segmentation. It means we get to charge different customers, different prices. And so if you've got the systems in place to do it, now we just have to figure out why do we raise this guy 10% and that guy 5%? Or why did we give this person a 10% discount and this person a 3% discount? 
Um, and, and it's perfectly legit to do that if we're smart about it. Yeah. Yeah. There always is the risk of so-and-so talks to someone else, knows they're getting a better price, but mm -hmm. I think that's minimal, all things considered. So I do have to ask, you said that was the second most powerful. What's, what's number one? <laughs> was that a tease or what? It was a little bit. Yeah. That's <laughs> light bulb went up above my head. So. <laughs> number one, we've been talking about the entire time and that's yeah. to adopt value-based pricing, right? A value-based pricing simply means we charge based on what our customers are willing to pay. Mm -hmm. And what it doesn't mean is we charge based on our costs. So there's usually two basic types of pricing. It's value-based pricing or cost plus pricing. Mm -hmm. We have to know our costs. We have to make sure we cover our costs, but we yeah. don't set prices based on our costs. Gotcha. Okay, perfect. And then I have one question because we talked a little bit about SaaS, which everyone, us included, like we're an agency, but everyone wants a SaaS-like model because predictable revenue and it's just a more sustainable model where you can focus on renewing and upselling your customers. The thing a lot of agencies I think struggle with is they don't provide consistent value over the years or over the year. Like the value is front loaded, but it's a subscription. So you get a ton of value the first month, you're super happy. And then you realize, why am I paying these people five grand a month when it's super minimal after the fact? So I know there's probably not a quick answer for that, but how would you suggest someone think through how to continue to provide value throughout a subscription when they're not a software? Yeah, I think that's a fabulous observation that you just made. Um, here's the thing to think about subscription businesses for a second. Mm -hmm. A subscription only makes sense when you're delivering a continual stream of value to your customer. Yep. And, and so if I, I, I can't tell you on any, I can't give you a general answer for how to continue to deliver value. But what mm -hmm. I can say is if your business is such that you don't deliver a continual stream of value, it probably doesn't make sense to build a subscription around it, right? Yeah. So, so I pay my tax preparer once a year to do my taxes. If yeah. he charged me a subscription monthly, it's like, well, what the heck are you doing the other 11 months of the year, mm -hmm. right? I, I don't need that. Um, and, and so you have to decide, can we structure a product offering where we're delivering value every single month? And then it makes sense to charge every single month. Um, what you said is all companies want to go to a subscription because, you know, we get the predictable revenue. We actually get higher valuations. I mean, there's yep. lots of fabulous reasons, but those are reasons for you. Yeah. And what matters is the customer. What, what's the value to the customer? Yeah. I think that's been kind of the re recurring theme here. Right. And I think as a company that what we do is we interview our clients, customers and talk to them every day. I think that's part of the answer, right? Is actually talk to your customers and understand them and the value they're providing and how you can meet that. Because what we found too, is during those conversations, you often spot additional product lines you can spin up or additional services that you might not think are that useful or important, but you're not your buyer. So you kind of get those additional opportunities as well from just asking those blunt questions to customers of what could we do better? What other services in the space are you working with? And then kind of expanding from there. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to offer another piece of um, wisdom for a second. Yeah, go for there, it. There's a difference between a platform and a solution. So Zoom yeah. is a platform, right? We can do many, many different things on Zoom. A solution is, hey, I've got a problem. How do you solve this specific problem? Yeah. Now, we can do thousands of things on Zoom, but it turns out they've created a special package for telemedicine. They charge doctors higher prices than you and I would pay for Zoom. 
yeah. because it solves a very specific problem for them, right? Now, I said all that because you're selling interview services. I can think of that as a platform. <laughs> but what if you turned around and said, we sell a solution and the solution is our interview service is to go find the next opportunity for the product to go build. Or we have a different yeah. set of interview questions that say, how do we fix your customer service? Where's the customer service broken? Or we have a different set that says, how do we determine what value is so that when we go sell products to, to new buyers, we know what value actually means. And so you could sell solutions instead of the platform. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. And it's kind of similar how marketers will position their copy on their website, but they don't do it with pricing as much. Like everyone focuses on outcome-based copy where this is the problem we, or the solution we give to this problem that you have. But for whatever reason, we just seem to neglect that on pricing and it's always bronze, silver, gold. Here are the three packages and never or rarely actually tied back to that specific value and offering. Yeah, and, and you could and possibly should create your market segments around those problem sets. <laughs> Be because when you think about your market segment, it, it's your marketing, of course. It's also your product portfolio, right? What's my product portfolio look like? And then, and then different people would pay different amounts of money to solve different problems, Yeah, right? I, if you could help my salespeople be 20% more effective, that's worth way more than helping my customer success or customer service people be more effective. Yeah, I would say, especially nowadays, like everyone went through 2023, cut everything that's not of value because it was a rough year. So I would agree that being a nice to have isn't what it used to be. You kind of have to be a must have and provide that real value. So Mark, we went through a ton of different frameworks and <laughs> strategies. I'm going to try to list them when we write up the description here so that people can quickly kind of reference them all. If people want to learn more about, you know, your thoughts on pricing, connect with you, where's the best place for that? Yes. Well, so first, Dustin, thank you so much for having me on. This has been fun and sorry that I talk about way too many things all at once, but, but if I bundle it all, no, it's good. if I break it all down, yeah. it's on a single concept and that's value, right? Yeah. Value to the customer. Uh, so, so if your listeners want to, they can go to impactpricing.com slash B2BRL, which is for you guys. Yeah. And, and there, they, there's three different things they could download. They could get something we call the valuable features tool, which gets them started thinking about what does value truly mean to their customers. There's a link oh, to my awesome. books there, Selling Value. And then there's also a link that if you want to set up a discovery call with me, so you want to spend more time, you can grab that. But again, the URL, impactpricing.com slash B2BRL. Perfect. So for our listeners, we'll include that in the description and the social post. So click that and hit it up. And Mark, thank you. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Dustin. Thanks for listening to this episode. My key takeaway here is just how Mark simplified value-based pricing. It's a term that's become pretty buzzwordy. A lot of people use it without really realizing what it means, but it sounds cool to say it. But Mark really simplified it. He said value-based pricing simply means we charge based on what our customers are willing to pay. So really focus on keeping that in mind rather than just a cost plus pricing strategy where the price is just, you know, our cost plus 20% or whatever margin you actually need. Focus on what people are actually willing to pay. So if you enjoyed this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. Always appreciate those. And as always, I'll be back next week with a new episode.